Hello everyone, welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 117, your weekly podcast covering everything Magic the Gathering related. Your host is always joining you, Richard, the owner of MTG Goldfish. What's up, Richard? Hey guys, what's going on? We're doing well. Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, is also joining us, our resident jank brewer and all-around content creator for Magic the Gathering. Seth, what's up? What's going on, guys? We finally got the full spoiler. One more week of Amicat. I'm actually excited. Very excited as well. You can find us on Google Play, iTunes, mtggoldfish.com, and now on YouTube. So, um, yep, as Seth alluded to, we have the entire spoiler for Amonkhet. We got to see everything. We're going to talk about everything. Um, we have some stuff that we want to highlight, but we're going to tackle the rest of the spoilers on a more of meta uh, discussion and pick out a few cards that we're not... Uh, that we were not privy to last week. Uh, we're going to cover uh, an interesting topic that we heard from the Magic the Gathering preview panel uh, that we wanted to discuss. Uh, we're also going to discuss the... Uh, we didn't have a chance uh, when it happened, and then we really didn't have a chance when we kept talking about Amonkhet, but we actually are going to discuss the split and fuse uh, card change, the rule change. Uh, I know folks have been asking for us to do that, uh, Seth is going to highlight an MTGO topic that we didn't get to really elaborate on, um, and that will bring us to Fishmail. So let's just jump right in. We have the entire spoiler. What do you think now that you get to look at every little card and every and every color <laughs> and everything we didn't get to talk about last week? Uh, Richard, what do you think of Amonkhet? The same. Uh, <laughs> they swayed me a little bit. They printed a bunch of zombies, which are pretty good. But we got the the two remaining gods, probably the more powerful of the gods we've seen. And then we got Nyssa, the ex-costed planeswalker. So there's a lot of interesting cards going on. I'm going to say I'm slightly more excited about Amonkhet this week than I was last week. I'm really excited for Amonkhet in a casual sense. Uh, commander cards galore everywhere. And we, we got a few cards that people are thinking are modern playable. So power level-wise, I think it's pretty decent, but I'm still not feeling these white mummies. <laughs> I, I don't know about this Amonkhet flavor. Uh, watching the panel made me like Amonkhet even less for some reason. We can discuss about that when we talk about the panel. But in terms of actual cards and what I'm going to play in standard and modern, I think the set is pretty good. I think it just misses a bit on the flavor, even though it has embalm and bricks and mummies and stuff. Fair enough. Seth, what do you think? Uh, for me, I think the set really turned around during the second week of spoilers. Like, I still see the flavor concerns that Richard has mentioned, so I still can see that aspect of it. But last week, I was pretty concerned about power level and just the overall competitiveness of the cards. And it seems like the second week of spoilers had a lot of the best stuff in the set. It had arguably the best gods. It had probably the most competitive planeswalker, a bunch of other stuff that seems like it has potential in standard. So I went from kind of like lukewarm, I guess, on its actual playability to pretty excited. So I, I don't know. I was not expecting I think part of what got me in this is something I want to ask both of you about, but normally Wizards kind of front-loaded spoiler season where at the beginning we got a lot of the good stuff 
stuff. And in the first week, we had like almost all the mythics and we kind of had all the good cards. And the second week was kind of the fill in. This week, it was kind of the opposite. They really paced out the spoilers. So the second week was really where we got the most exciting stuff. And I kind of liked it that way. And if I'm expecting that next spoiler season, I think it'll be a good thing. But I was expecting that Wizards would spoil all the good stuff first. So when we got all these kind of bad mythics and not that exciting stuff, I was a little nervous. But it definitely turned around. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same camp you are, Seth. Uh, I was already excited week one. And then week two, it kind of just seemed like we got a lot more stuff to be excited about. And to to really quickly touch upon your question, um, I've kind of been used to that for a long time that, you know, spoilers and previews were kind of ramping up right up until the pre-release. So for me, it's nothing new. And, I, and I've always really liked that uh, approach because, you know, when you dump everything and then you have all the good stuff and then the second week or, you know, up until the, the pre-release is a bunch of like draft chafe and, you know, not very exciting stuff. It's kind of like takes the wind out of the sails right before everyone's supposed to get excited and go and pre-release and enjoy themselves so uh, i think this approach is much more effective and it kind of reignites everybody's um you know excitement for a set uh doing it that way but i think keeping in line like just looking at the entire list like they kept in line with another really great batch of like uncommons i mean i don't even i know people are gonna like gloss over these but I mean, like, Wayward Servant, the Kenra Charioteer, the Honor Crop Captain. Wait, there's a lot of great uncommons uh, that were revealed. And I'm like, wow, that is pretty good. Um, in term, and, and then, obviously, going from there, we got the Green God. And I'm, like, super, super happy about. Uh, can't tell you how happy I am about this, uh, about Rona. So thanks, uh, Magic Mikes, for that. Uh, and then the Invocation... Uh, I have a question for you after you get to, uh, for you and Richard, Seth, uh, after you get to answer Richard, like, to me, it seemed like (laughs) the only invocation that was green ended up being, like, the best-looking one, and maybe it's just because I'm biased, but it looked like the green bands and, like, the general, like, green on the card, like, kind of brought it all together, and maybe it's just because of the art, too, but I thought it looked great um, for the invocation version of Ronus, but... Uh, I'll pass it off to you, Richard. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Seth. I'm I'm really into this set, and I think the second week really brought some some awesome cards on all levels, like uncommons, rares. We got the gods, so there's a lot to be excited for. So before we get into the cards, I actually like the old pacing better, where you front load it with the good stuff because it actually builds the hype. But I don't think Wizards intentionally tried to backload the hype. I think invocations were supposed to be, you know, like, oh my god, the end of the world. Yes, new frames. And they just kind of fell flat on that. Because I think the invocations were supposed to be the big bang that the set started off on. (laughs) But invocations aside, I agree with Chaz. I actually, the more you look at the invocations, the better they look. I actually like the gods. The the only downside is still the original downside, which is Hazaret the Perverted. (laughs) it's a a little hard to read the titles but let's talk about some cards so we'll start off with the best card according to Chaz Ronus the Indomitable probably the best god Tuna Green 5-5 Death Touch Indestructible can't attack or block unless you control another creature with power 4 or greater pay Tuna Green another target creature gets plus 2 plus 0 and gains trample until end of turn yeah I, I was completely for it. I mean, this is nothing like 
Nylea. Uh, obviously, it's a, a mana less uh, in terms of casting costs. Death Touch actually, I know sometimes it doesn't make sense to have like a, a giant creature with Death Touch, but uh, when it's indestructible and you have cards like Prey Upon uh, lurking around in the format, like that's some really interesting uh, removal now that you can consider when you're deck building, and this is easily the 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 condition that's the easiest to meet. I mean, um, you its own ability provides creatures to you know you up their power, so now Ronas can attack with these creatures. I just think it's a really great like all-in-one package for a god, and I think this has the best shot by far to be a constructed playable uh, one of the of the god cycle. So I, I'm I'm super happy. I'm glad it was the green god because I did not want to be disappointed uh, because the other gods are cool and all, but uh, I'm sticking with Ronas to be uh, something I, I want to play if I uh, sit down and play standard because it's great. I think it's good. I I don't know if I'm as hyped as everyone else is. I think it is the easiest to turn on. So that's a big vote in favor of it. It is also kind of intensive mana wise. If you want to like play as servant of the conduit on turn two and then turn on your uh, Ronus on turn four, you kind of have to spend your entire turn pumping up your servant to attack. And maybe that's fine. So I think it's, I think it probably is the most, easily played of the gods i'm not convinced it's the most powerful i think in the right deck some of the other ones have potential to be better including one that we'll probably talk about uh later today but i think it definitely is the most likely to see play just because the condition is so easy to me and even disregarding death touch which honestly doesn't do a whole lot on the card it's still a five five indestructible for three and with it being easy to turn on it's a pretty scary beater it's kind of a gideon that's active all the time in your deck and gideon has proven itself to be very difficult to deal with so i'm definitely scared of this card i'm with chaz i think this is good uh I agree with Seth that you might not just slot it into every standard deck, but I'm going to try this card in Modern. <laughs> as crazy as that sounds, where Death wow. Touch becomes relevant. Uh, you throw it into Abzan. Yep. Uh, everyone's on the Fatal Push plan now, so un- Indestructibility looks better because you know you have less Path to Exiles. Death Touch lets you get through 5-6 Goifs, 13-13 uh, Death Shadows, and you... It's pumping ability is relevant. Even if it comes down and it doesn't turn on, just giving a lingering souls token plus two plus zero like is a good like plan B. So I'm excited to try it in Abzan. Maybe it's terrible. Maybe it's a win more card. Like if you have a Goyf on the field, do you really need another one? But uh, with Goyf, Grim Players, uh, even Bob, you can pump up Bob to, to turn this thing on. So I'm I'm excited to try it in modern. And if I'm trying it in modern, it's probably playable in standard. You have gear hulks, uh, you can crew vehicles, right? Even if uh, Rodus doesn't turn on, you can still crew a Hardy Kiran. Uh, you can go for like the combo kill of uh, Toolcraft Exemplar, uh, some one drop that crews um, Hardy Kiran, and then just slam in with Rodus Hardy Kiran, pump up the Hardy Kiran for more trouble. And uh, just put the beat down on people. The the one downside is Chump City with Ronus. You can't give uh, itself plus two, plus zero, and trample. So that's the only downside I, I see besides, you know, actually turning him on. But I like Ronus. And I, I think 
we might see him in other formats, or at least I'll try. And if I five zero a modern daily, I'll be sure to let you know. <laughs> nice, <laughs> Richard. High five on that one. Yeah, I mean you're not the only one. I have seen that other people are are kind of intrigued to to test this out. Is um, on curve like you drop a goif, it's pretty easy to turn on Ronus at that point. Uh, like you said, even Bob. Um, I'm eagerly awaiting uh, seeing your results with this card and anyone else that tries this in modern. But I, I think you're right. Like if if people are considering this. Uh, and they've considered uh, other cards before for modern that never panned out, but I think this is a, this has a pretty good shot. And if that's the case, um, you know, I, I think you're right. It's really uh, no question for standard. And um, I do agree with the one point that you did bring up, Seth, is that it, it doesn't just kind of slot in as a four of in every single deck. But um, from what I see, it, it actually does work well with a plethora of other cards, and actually works well with. Uh, Hazret the Fervent. Um, coming down a turn earlier, uh, Hazret can also... They, they play really well with each other. Oh, um, God. Not multiple gods in the same <laughs> deck. But you you can have, like, four creatures on the battlefield that none can attack or block, and you're like, I don't know, man. <laughs> well, well, no. I mean, if you if you even just curve into, like, a new... I think Nuke's Constrictor really turns on a lot of stuff this, these days. So well, any god turns on Ronus, so that's okay, but all the right. other gods require very uh very difficult things. The, uh, the so other... speaking of other gods. Oh, go ahead. Bantu the glorified. So the black one, a two and a black 4/6. Everyone's favorite black keyword, menace, indestructible. Bantu the glorified can't attack or block unless a creature died under your control this turn. One in a black, sacrifice another creature, scry one, each opponent loses one life, and you gain one life. Menace, Seth! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah! <laughs> uh, you wrote about this card, uh, Brewing, uh, with Amonkhet. I, I actually really love the deck list that you, po- you posted. And for some reason, like, I was reading, and I think this card's getting a lot more hate than it deserves. I, I thought it was pretty good. Like, it's not... Over the top, like this has to be in every deck, like that could play black. I, I do think it's like an engine card, but a pretty decent one at that. Like it's not terrible. I think this has potential to be the most powerful of all the gods, and that might sound kind of crazy. It's one it's of the not. most narrow. It, it's probably the most narrow god. It goes in a really specific deck. You got to be playing like an aristocrat self-sacrifice style of deck, but in that one style of deck, this card is going to be super good. It gets in damage as much as I hate menace as a mechanic. It's actually pretty relevant on this card. It makes it hard to jump. And if you can get in a couple of hits, it doesn't take that many sacrifices to drain your opponent out of the game. There is some really good sacrifice outlets in standard. So I think there's like a tiny percentage of decks that can actually play this card, but but in that tiny percentage of decks, this is going to be extremely powerful. Yes, if the deck is a thing, <laughs> and this is the main engine piece, but I'm not even sure this is the best card in that deck. Because the sacrifice outlet, where you have to pay two mana, is not a very good sacrifice outlet usually. So it, it could be a role player in the deck, and maybe it's because you actually need like sack outlet three or four to make the deck consistent. But... I think I'd rather just play like an Ailee or something as opposed to Bantu if I had the choice, right? So I, I don't know. But if you can make an Aristocrats deck, the, the deck itself is very powerful and having sack outlets lets it go. So yeah, maybe maybe beating down with your 4-6 Menace is enough. You know, 
they run out of creatures, they can no longer chump, and then you just drain them the rest of the way. So I can see it working. But I'm gonna stick with Ronis as the most powerful god still. I'm not I'm not on the Bantu train. <laughs> but uh, I agree that, you know, there are uses and Bantu is probably the second or third best god, I think. Yeah. I, I think it's a close second. Uh probably tied with Hazaret uh at this point, but I mean, Seth, you brought up a lot of good points, and I'm, I mean, trust me, I'm definitely with Richard firmly on the Ronos train, but, but, uh, I mean, I just love that it's a bit, like, short of Ronos, like, this is pretty easy to turn on, too, and you have to remember, like, there's a lot of creatures that are, can easily be reanimated, I mean, Richard made a great point last week about Liliana's Death Majesty kind of being, like, the zombie planeswalker, well, this is definitely, like, the zombie god. So how, what better way to turn this on than playing a bunch of creatures that never die anyway? I mean, we're talking prize amalgams. Uh, what's the uh, what's the other one from uh, Eldritch Moon? The the haunted dead. Like, there, there's a lot of stuff that can come back um, and potentially just keep giving you reusable triggers. The other thing to consider with both of these cards in terms of modern is three mana does mean they could be like one ofs in collected company decks. Yes. They can be court of call, uh, court of calling targets. So I think that both the black and green God automatically have more potential just because they could slot into an existing deck as a one of, they don't have to like create their whole, their whole own archetype in modern. You can just throw this in as a core target, either one of them. And honestly, Ronas uh, is probably the more likely that you just play as a one of in one of those decks to tutor up in the right uh, situation. But either one of them could fill that role in modern. Yeah. This is the time where being a creature all the time is working hugely to their advantage. <laughs> But I, I do agree. It's it's a spicy like one of. I mean, it could happen. There's, it's not hard to have. I mean, basically they already have like three power or four power anyway. So, some of these some of these three drops. But uh, yeah, I mean, Ronas's ability makes it real easy, and Bantu as well. So, think I think it's like one A one B, and then like Hazard and the rest come in. All right, let's move on to a unique planeswalker we received. Nissa, Steward of Elements. Guess what? Nissa's back. Uh, how many Nissas do we have in standard now? A lot. Seven? Uh, yeah, like five. <laughs> X, green, blue. You heard it. X. <clears throat> Comes in with X loyalty. Planeswalker Nissa. Plus two, scry two. Zero, look at the top cards of your library. If it's a land card or a creature card with converted mana costs less than or equal to the number of loyalty counters on Nissa, you may put that card onto the battlefield minus six up to two target lands you control or untap up to two target lands you control they become five five elemental creatures with flying and haste until end of turn they're still lands i mean this this card is i mean i know it's green and i might be biased but this could do some crazy stuff um even outside of standard i already heard like rumblings like i don't know richard you maybe you could weigh on this but like lands or something like that i don't know maybe this is a win more but seems pretty easy to just keep a, an engine card like this out on the battlefield uh but uh i will reserve <laughs> the right to to kind of hold back on on stuff outside of standard in standard uh, this could certainly get there i mean i don't know where yet but it i i feel like it's a build around card but even at three mana uh because you can do that still pretty decent um, doesn't really protect itself as much as I would like, but um, yeah, you kind of have to protect it on your own, which 
Eh, maybe, but does powerful stuff. Yeah, it's just so flexible. It's yeah. There's not many planeswalkers. I mean, obviously, being the first X planeswalker, I guess it's the only planeswalker that you can literally cast on turn two off of a mana dork for three mana and have it be really good. And it's also insane if you can cast it for like eight mana and immediately ultimate and essentially just searing wind your opponent for 10 damage in the air out of nowhere. There's just so much flexibility. The not protecting itself is a concern. I don't know if that's going to be the nail in the coffin, but it's definitely something to be aware of. But I think this card is really strong, mostly because it's just very rarely bad no matter how much money or money how much mana you put into this card it's going to be decent on its spot on the curve no matter what you cast it for so i'm definitely excited for it and think it has a lot of potential agreed you are going to be spending money and mana on it (laughs) i really like nissa because of design uh this is another unique planeswalker we were three for three on unique planeswalkers that don't look don't look like obnixilis so that's good I don't know how good she is. She's going to do weird things. Like, you can do Nissatron in Modern. Like, I, I don't know why you would do this, but, like, <laughs> you can Nissatron and just ultimate her. And I think the ultimate is where the real power lies. I think the zero is actually pretty bad. I think the zero is, like, draw a card. Because if you don't have Brainstorm, you don't have a way to manipulate outside that Scry 2. It's like you're just spinning the, the, the wheel and you might get a land or something. So it's, it's, it's okay. But I, I think the the real power is people just putting this down and ultimating twice or ultimating Scry Scry Ultimate or something. And the ultimate is what you play around. And other than that, it's also Simic. I don't like you gotta play Simic, which typically isn't that strong of a combination. But I, I expect it to be broken in other formats. Like maybe you see a Tron variant for some reason, or for some reason you see this in vintage. I, I don't know, like in other formats where you get broken mana, you might see this, but I don't know why. But having X loyalty is a pretty interesting thing. And of course, in EDH, you have doubling season. So <laughs> good luck. <laughs> there you go. Only need I me mean, play it at five, you get a Siri win. And and I think it really sets right on this one. Great points. I mean, it's, it's it really is just so flexible. And you brought that up too, Richard. And I mean, Searing Wind in these colors is pretty crazy when you don't have to spend, like, 10 mana. Um, It's not that hard to get to 6 mana. Um, But, I mean, we'll see. The the Simic colors, you're right, Richard, like, is not always the best. I feel like that's a positive outside of Standard. But in Standard, I mean, there's Channel Initiate. There's ways, like, you can build around this so it's protected and you have a a great engine card. And I, I think... When people kind of look past the immediate, like, it doesn't protect itself, and you use this more of, like, a finisher, or you play it kind of in the mid, mid-game mid to build up to that really quickly, uh, because it does get plus two, and that is pretty, consi- like, that's a considerable plus when you only have to spend six to get an ultimate. All right, should we talk about some of our favorite cards from the set? I think those sure. are the three major spoilers we wanted to cover. Sure, yeah. Let's let's just kind of talk about this um set as a whole. So All right, Seth. Um I got to ask. I've been I've been dying to ask since like now that we see the full spoiler, you do you feel any different about Aftermath? <laughs> no. Okay. I I do not. I mean, we did get potentially 
maybe the better of the aftermath cards in the second week uh, in the ruinous path one. I'm trying to remember okay. the name. Never, never to ret- return. Never That's to actually, return. you're not happy to play ruinous path, but it's, it's a card that you put in your deck because you gotta. But I'm still not impressed with aftermath in general. It, the second week didn't really change my opinion of the mechanic, and I still think it's it's pretty bad, especially when you consider the cost of building a whole new border and the complexity and all that stuff that goes into the mechanic. I think that I wanted it to be better if you were going to literally change how Magic Card looks to make this mechanic. I've been thinking about this a lot, especially when we've seen the entire set. And and Richard mentioned it again, and I wanted to bring it up on this podcast now that like we're all here and talking about it. I like the design, like I like them taking chances with design. So I don't want to like downplay that. I love the rest of the set. So don't get me wrong. I love the rest of the set, but I do think that aftermath cards, like you have a point set. And I think this is the only part of the set that I believe is, is kind of gumming up the works when it comes, when Richard is talking about like the flavor, like I, I don't see how this, kind of fit in i think this is like these are the only cards to me that don't make sense when it comes to to flavor everything else it kind of seems like fine you can make an argument for it there's like pyramids there's monuments there's like gates to afterlife and another card this is actually the most flavorful mechanic when you hear them (laughs) describe it and the idea is on amonkhet everything you know there is an afterlife and it has a lot of impact in uh, you know day-to-day life and spells can now also be cast from the dead which is basically aftermath so you cast the front half and then from the underworld you cast the second half so that was the explanation they gave for this mechanic on um on the preview stream but i'm with you guys i don't like it and i, I think i don't like it because there's too much limited in my constructed all of these cards must be rares because they all just straight up two for one if not three for one or four for one. So you can't have too many of these floating around. So they put it up rare. But then if you're opening a pack and you're like, well, it's like a giant growth or something at rare, are you very excited? And you're not, right? So I think it's the rarity that gets me on these cards. If they were commons or uncommons, it wouldn't be too bad. But there's just so many rares that don't look like rares. And I'm not sure why we have this because we had flashback cards before. And... You know, we had plenty of flashback cards at common and uncommon, and those two are also two for ones. So, so I don't know. And yeah, good luck explaining to new players why there's a card in a card, and you got to turn it <laughs> sideways to read. And like, is this really an instant or sorcery? How does this work with Gear Hulk? What's the converted mana cost? Like, they should just put reminder text for how like all of this works on the back of the card because you're gonna need a paragraph to explain this to new players. <laughs> Yeah, I just I I think like I just honed in on that, and I feel like out the rest of the set great, and I get you're absolutely right. We we were going to talk about the preview stream, so that kind of coincides with what we're talking about. But you're absolutely right, Richard. Like they explained it, and I get it, and I know it's like they're kind of doing it's like embalmed for spells, but just I don't think it. I think it just kind of missed the mark. Now there are are a couple of them that. I do think are good enough. Um, me personally, if if I was playing an aggressive list, like prepare to fight might be something to look at. So they're they're not all completely terrible, but I just think I think that's like the the I think that's it. Like I think that's the the one specific part of the set that just didn't work, and it kind of you know 
fails on that like on multiple levels when it comes to uh, story and flavor and all that stuff. So I, I think I, hopefully I answered it. I got it I for un- you, Richard. <laughs> I understand their justification from the stream. I just don't understand why they couldn't have just done flashback and said, yeah. I'm a cat. Like can things come back from the graveyard. And they that's... need new mechanics. Seth. <laughs> they need new mechanics to sell sets. Uh, they do. Yeah. I guess, I guess I'm happy with them, like, like the flipping. three-sided card where to cast it, you got to fold it into like origami and then you like throw <laughs> it up and like they're, they're running out of space, design space, right? Like there's always so much you can do on, you know, a piece of cardboard, and they're starting to try new things, which, you know, we, we get cool things, and then we get weird things like this. So, I don't know. They're, they're just going to keep trying. And yeah. There's only so many new ways you can keep making magic cards after 25 years. Sure. I mean, there's just... There's another... Uh, I mean, like I said, we we had the entire uh, set in front of us. I, I think there's some, some really key, solid, like players here i mean like i said earlier in the cast like that some of the uncommons are like incredible um i can't wait to play with uh hepatra the vizier of poisons and edh i think that's pretty interesting like there's there's all these interesting cards like samut voice of descent i don't think was we we didn't have that card the last time we talked about it's like so many (laughs) if you want to play commander even maybe even standard like there's just so many keywords on that card like how could it possibly be bad (laughs) Wait, I don't know. I, I'm liking a lot of this. We got a Minotaur legend. Like we have so much other cool stuff. And then I just had to bring up the aftermath stuff because it's like everything else is pretty sweet. Yeah, I think it's a very. It looks like a very fun commander set, and I am becoming more optimistic on its chances of being good in standard. The other thing I wanted to point out, which is kind of exciting to me, and this sort of again ties into the panel they did, but we got to see some some realistic answers. Like, it's not yeah. 100% where we want it to be, but Wizards does look like they really made an effort to put cards in the set to fight against artifacts, more so than uh, they clearly had in Kaladesh block, and even maybe more so than a, a lot of other sets. It seems like they went out of their way to make sure there were good artifact answers, and they even put some graveyard answers in, which is almost surprising considering that this is a graveyard set, and one of the things they've been doing recently is like, hey, we don't want to like hose a block within the block. We got to wait till the next block, and they kind of walk that back to some extent with some graveyard disruption, even if it's, you know, not insane graveyard disruption, but at least it exists in standard so i think that there's some encouraging signs as far as uh what we have been talking about over the last year or so about having better answers in standard as well yeah i think if we're shifting gears so really what the the specific part of the preview stream uh with marrow and marshall sudcliffe if anyone watched that over the weekend um what seth is specifically referring to is there was a segment where i believe it was marrow right that, I think it was one it. of the other people that actually yeah, said it. I can't remember Either their director name. director or something like yeah. that. I don't remember his name either, but... Yeah, that they were compiling data from Pro Tour Aether Revolt before Amonkhet was even finished. So, looking at a big picture, I, I think the timeline of design isn't what we, you know, we as players thought it was, and maybe it wasn't... It, it's either two things, and we discussed this prior to the cast, that... Just the timeline of design isn't what we thought we 
it was, and Wizards has been pretty tight-lipped about this right up until that cat, like that panel, because I've never heard of that before. Like I understand deep within the design, like in the design timeline, like cards change, but this almost like this is like six months, maybe not even, uh, and. It just seems like a coincidence that all these cards, like Magma Spray and uh, Mangle, uh, Manglehorn, what is that card? Yeah, Manglehorn. Uh, yeah. Manglehorn. Manglehorn. Like, suddenly show up. Um, I, I don't think that's by coincidence. Maybe they threw that in there. Like, they had the ability to throw that in last second. Or it could be Richard brought up an amazing point. Uh, I think it was a few weeks back when we were talking about this that he just brought up the question, like, maybe Wizards has to change their their design schedule and not like lock in sets like two years at a time. So maybe that's what we're seeing sped up until now, because another point that you brought up Seth and we talked about is um, we mentioned this again, uh, maybe that same week is they're kind of bringing back the, the gate watch as early as hour of devastation. And that wasn't data that was collected two years ago. That was data that was collected pretty recently. So it seems that, either the design space or the timeline has shifted or it just wasn't it just wasn't what we thought it was and that they do actually have right up until x point to change certain cards in the set because like you just said Seth, like suddenly now all these cards like just pop up and it it just seems to me that they've been pretty tight-lipped about this to not say hey listen guys you know it is there, there were some mistakes but we do have some stuff like right around the corner yeah, I think for me, that was the biggest thing I took away from that whole panel because the old time frame and we had this huge conversation about answers and fixing standard a few weeks ago. And one of the big things we said was it just takes so long. And that goes back to what Richard said about speeding it up. But it's pretty interesting to realize that's not the case. And that means that there's a lot more flexibility uh, standard when it might not be as good as it could be or when it has problems theoretically within a set or definitely two sets wizards has the ability if they wanted to we could have pithing needle in hour of devastation based off of feedback they were getting this month or the month before like it seems like the time frame is a third a quarter of what we were thinking it was before which is actually pretty exciting and it means there is a lot more potential for things to change quickly than we had previously thought which i think is a good thing yeah so i agree with you guys but this was not my biggest takeaway from the previous stream. <laughs> my biggest takeaway was I figured out what rubbed me wrong in Almond Cat. And it was the point where Maro said, mummies are white because they serve. And that just gave me like horrendous flashbacks to Kaladesh because dwarves are white because they cooperate <laughs> or whatever like BS white color slice <laughs> you put in there. And I think that's the problem, right? When you think of mummy in your head, you don't think of, like, servitude, right? You think of, like, some, like, scary thing from Egypt. When you think dwarves, you don't think, you know, a bunch of people cooperating, building stuff. You think in the mountain, armor, weapons, forge, whatever, right? And because there's five colors, every set, every block, they need to, you know, give equal representation to the five colors, they start warping some of the things to make them fit. Dwarves was the most egregious, I think. I don't think anyone remembers their dwarves in Kaladesh. Uh, everyone hates dwarves because of the way they portrayed them, not because we just intrinsically hate dwarves. It's because of the way they portrayed them in Kaladesh is not 
you know, our dwarven vigilantes that we remembered from uh, the earlier years. And kind of the same thing happened with mummies. So when you have to explain to me why mummies are white, I think, you know, that's, that's bad design. When you have to explain why Aftermath is a flavorful mechanic, I think they failed again. Like, these things should be inherent and kind of enforce the stereotypes we have in our head, which is maybe a bad thing. Maybe that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to break stereotypes, but it's just not what we as players expect. And when we say we want an Egyptian block, we have an idea of what we want, and then they go around and say, well, mummies are actually nice and orderly, and they serve, and they're your best friends. And we're like, well, that's not what I learned growing up watching movies, right? So <laughs> I, I think that was kind of the mental disconnect, which is why Amonkhet feels a bit off. Uh, Kaladesh kind of had that fixed. It had enough other awesome things that everyone just forgot dwarves existed. <laughs> but with Amonkhet, it's like, uh, I don't know. Mummy, mummies aren't as cool as I thought they were. So that's what I took away from the screen. Yeah. And Servitude. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's funny that both uh, both statements were kind of like a throw in there and like what, what an hour and a half stream or something like that. So, uh, but I think the good thing there's there's good thing and of of course Richard like <sighs> can I say like without having them explore you know, moving some of these zombies into white to kind of play off the whole mummy thing. Like maybe we wouldn't have got wayward servant. Like I, I like the card. I'm glad it exists, but I can understand the kind of issue there. I just think like, this is a classic. They want to do all these things. They want to kind of go above and beyond what's on the cardboard, but it's hard to convey that on a piece of cardboard at the end of the day, when you present someone with a card that's designed to be played with and you're like, Hey, look at all this stuff. Like, look at all these things that we were thinking of, like zombies and, and mummies mean like servitude and this, that, and the other thing. Like you can't convey that on a card. And I get the fact that it, all these things have to go into it, but sometimes they just don't pan out the way you expect them to. When you present like these cards, for consideration and players have to kind of just look at these like why is this white like that will be the first thing that just comes out of uh, a player's mouth and it, and it makes sense because it happens in game design all the time it's like you're thinking about all these things and then you present something and it's like the first thing it's like why is this like this and if you have to like go on like a two-hour tangent to to figure <laughs> like to explain it to somebody they're just kind of looking at the cards like yeah they, they got to go back to old school design, like right. red crazy, blue smart, <laughs> black evil, white holy. <laughs> like, like they're trying to go away from that to not, you know, enforce stereotypes and stuff like that. And now it's like, I don't know. I was like, just, just don't mess with my zombies, please. <laughs> like, I, I swear to God, in like two years we're gonna have green zombies. It's like, well, zombies, <laughs> it, you know, it, you know. It, take the power of nature and corrupt it or something. And that, like, I don't know, man. Jeez. I mean, didn't they kind of already do that with uh, Ravnica? Like, there was, like, these bio-zombies and they were, like, plant zombies. So they kind of already did that, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, or did Lord that slip too, past right? you? Lorwyn yeah, did that, the like... elves and, like, messed up all the elves. It was like, no, give me Lord of the Rings, man. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, Lord of the Rings. Legolas, come on. <laughs> so I, I get it. But I think... um Outside of that, I mean, it, it's a huge deal to learn that information on on a stream. I was kind of hoping that they would push that a little more because that's pretty significant news. I mean, all things considered and all joking aside, uh, that 
you know, maybe they really did change the design uh, out timeline, and maybe it's exactly what Richard said, that they were like, hey, look, if we have to change standard, we can't be locking in sets like two years or a year and a half down, you know, down the line. We have to, like, make changes if we need to as early as, like, what, a few months, Seth? Like, because that, that puts it at, like, what, less than six months? Yeah, it's, that seems unrealistic, but maybe they were just talking and they mixed up the sets in their minds because they're working so far in the future. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when we're podcasting and we say something and then afterwards, right. like, oh, wait, we, like, I totally said that wrong, but like, whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, cause six months, like how do you even print the stuff in time? So I don't know. Yeah. So yeah. maybe the times are a bit crossed, but we definitely got a lot more answers yes. and we're, we have to see the next couple of sets to see if it's consistent. Uh, hopefully we don't get any GTAs. You know, those last-minute changes sometimes <laughs> end up not so good. <laughs> yes. But I like yes. the hate we saw. Like, the graveyard hate is very, like, specific. Exile one card, exile two, up to three cards. We don't have the rest in peace, sorry, like, no graveyard. Or we don't have the stony silence, sorry, no artifacts. We kind of just have, like, targeted hate. And it's pretty good because a lot of it cycles. Uh, which makes it even more interesting. So I actually like the direction they took the hate. And I, I, I'm definitely not a fan of Rest in Peace or Stony Silence, especially not going against the core mechanics of the set because you basically can't play those mechanics anymore if you have those overarching you know, hate cards. Yeah, so conclusion. I mean, I felt that there's an overwhelming amount of stuff to combat a deck like Vehicles. But... I just and we talked about this Seth over the weekend. I mean, maybe it's something we haven't uh, you know talked about and maybe articulated as well because we've always talked about answers, answer, answers. Um, but I think it's pertinent to talk about it now that like you don't really print answers for something like uh, Sahili Cat Combo, and there's a pretty good defining uh, precedent for that because they banned Splinter Twin and Modern. Because what you, there's, I don't think there's really anything you can do about such an efficient combo that just fits into an already efficient deck. Like you're you're getting destroyed by rogue refiners and just value stuff, and then they could just if you're not if you somehow manage to overcome that uphill battle, they could just throw down a, a two card combo and it's over. So that's kind of always how it felt with with twin and everybody. That's exactly why it got banned because, I mean, look, it's the precedent. It was a great deck, and it was just a two-card combo that you pretty much couldn't stop. So they could print all the answers they want. I just don't think it'll ever be efficient because I look at Trespasser's Curse. That's pretty great. But then you you brought up the fact that, like, there's already a one-mana card in Authority of the Consoles, and that does absolutely nothing when they're still able to play efficient cards uh, like uh, Rogue Refiner, stuff like that. And yeah, you neutralize one aspect of the deck, but that's not even the entire aspect of the deck. Yeah, they just, they have to, they have to ban Felidar Guardian next week. That's what it comes down to. If they no, ban, we're if already they, here. If they <laughs> we, ban, we've already got fast and loose with their bannings. <laughs> if they ban Felidar Guardian, standard will be awesome. And I think it'll be great and it'll be a really fun format. If they don't, I think it will be. Uh, very disappointing. And the reason they have to ban Felidar Guardian isn't 
so much because it's too good, even though it is uh, in the combo, it's too good in the deck's too good, but it's, they've already admitted it's a mistake. They already admitted we wouldn't have put this in standard if we knew that this was a thing. So I think that that's their out. Like they're not just, this isn't the Emrakul banning or reflector mage banning. This is a, we made a mistake. We admitted that we missed this combo and we wouldn't have allowed this combo in the format if we knew it was a thing. So I think that that's how they can, justify this without setting a precedent this is skull clamp that they're banning a card that they just uh, messed up that, and it's too broken and it's not just like the format's bad reflector mage argument well so healy's not even the best deck in the format if you ban that thing then you got to take something from mardu vehicles hard to cure and well but then the next deck needs something and then you end up banning another three cards this might sound counterintuitive but i think banning felidar guardian makes mardu worse because if you ban Felidar Guardian, then you can play Magma Spray instead of Shock to beat Mardu Vehicles. You can play Artifactate to deal with Mardu Vehicles. So I think that Mardu comes back to the field by banning Felidar Guardian. I think that getting mm. rid of that combo makes everything good in standard, including fixing Mardu Vehicles. Being absolutely, you're absolutely right. And you can you can play something which you know like Manglehorn, which is pretty decently efficient on its own. And you can main deck that with no problem without having to worry about, um, you know, yeah, it stops the Healy combo, but it does a big, pretty big number on, on, on vehicles as well. And you're absolutely right. Like, being able to now just jam Magma Spray without having to worry about, you know, pinging, shocking a Sahili so they don't combo is pr a pretty big deal. And you can, let's just say the deck, can st you know, continues to be around and they just adopts, you know, more value cards. Um Magma Spray is still good against all their creatures too, like Rogue Refiner and stuff like that. So, um, you're, I think you're right. You're onto something there. And I just, I just look at something like uh, which, which, which uh, card is it? Vizier of Deferment. Like that's probably something that Felidar Guardian should have been, and Felidar Guardian just kind of slipped through. I think. Yeah, I think even if Felidar Guardian just didn't say Planeswalkers, it probably right. would have been okay. Or if it wasn't in the format with Sahili, it would have been okay. It's just so many weird things happen to go wrong to make this a combo. So, so but you think it's Guardian instead of Sahili? I think that Sahili would be the better banning. I just can't see Wizards banning an uncommon in, uh, or banning a mythic planeswalker when they could ban an uncommon and have roughly the same effect. But I think standard yeah. would be fun with Felidar Guardian and not Sahili. I think that deck might even still exist without the combo, just as a value sort of three, four color planeswalker deck where you're blinking rogue refiners and playing Chandra's. But without the combo hanging over your head, I think it might actually be fun and fairly fair. So I think that banning Sahili would make a more fun format. I just can't picture wizards banning a planeswalker over an uncommon yeah because you could jam vizier of deferment like just and remove felidar guardian i do think that deck can stick around yeah so, i mean i, I think don't the know value plan is good fi yeah final point um i know richard hates it but uh seth you also talked about and and i really like your brewing article i hope you have another one? Uh, there probably will be another one, maybe awesome. next week or the week after. So awesome! Um, I know at the very beginning you were like, I don't know if zombies can like adopt white. I think there's some pretty good choices. Um, and a, a card like Time to Reflect was not we were not privy to last week. Like that's a really powerful card. Oh man, I hate, I hate that card. 
I think that's the most overrated card in Amoncat. What? <laughs> you gotta be a white zombie deck. Then you gotta have zombie on the battlefield. Then you gotta have someone attack into or block your zombie. You need like so many conditions, and then you get a condemn out of the deal. It just seems like <laughs> you need so many things to go right for that to be good. I think Wait, if you're people are hyped about this condemn. I've probably been asked. <laughs> I thought it was pretty decent. More than any other card, really. I kind of want to just do an entire really? article. So many people ask me about this card. <laughs> Wow. I mean, I don't think it's like the end of all days, but I think it's pretty deep, like a good option now that you can consider white. I mean, what about the two? Dr- like, you made a list based on these cards. Like the the Wayward Servant's pretty solid. Yeah, I think I think it's really zombies know, I'm, I'm are interesting. interesting. I'm excited for zombies just because. There's so many different ways you can build zombies from mono black to yeah. three color to graveyard base to black white. So it'll be a lot more fun once we have the cards and we can actually start testing them. I don't think we can figure out the right build on paper. I think we got to get the cards and start just jamming games with different zombie builds and see what rises to the top. Yeah, I'm I, I don't I don't I want to move on. But like, oh man, I can't wait to start build. like green is so strong. <laughs> And there, as Dude, much you, as many ways, like green for the last two years. <laughs> I know, but look how many cards! Like you have Ronas, you have Crocodile of the Crossing, you have some really sweet uh, pump spells like Shed Weakness, and what was the other one? Like Hepatra's Cure, I think. Like there's so many good cards. Yeah, like Exemplar really? Strength, you have Channeler Initiate, you have like Honored, even Honored Hydra is actually pretty decent. I, I like I I kind of wrote that card off. Like, who's gonna play that card? Like, I, you know, it's it's Roar of the Worm. Like, you know, we had Roar of the Worm had its time. Like, I don't think that's as good as you know as it used to be. But then, like, you realize it's a four mana six six trample, and it's actually pretty easy to discard it because you have like the two mana Minotaur. Like, I can't wait to start brewing with green. Like, there's so many ways you could build around like red green monsters or Jund or something like that. Like, I'm really happy. There's so many like <laughs> massively efficient creatures i can't wait isn't magic i'm doing the eight god list just for you richard going for (laughs) for hazarat for ronas it's gonna work i think constrictor's gonna get me there it's bad what yeah i think we gotta go back to the old days the old days where you get like i don't know six mana six fours and that's your your best card but but speaking of old days the the two mana red bear so we went from like never having a bear at all <laughs> to having a bear to having a bear with crazy upside in red in the span of like I don't know six months. I mean, I'm come on, red needed this. Lions. Red needed Ooh. this. Come on, I'm waiting for the one mana three three green one drop. It's coming. <laughs> yeah, I am too. Probably soon. I mean, it's it's <laughs> funny you say that that green should be bad but you wrote an article on like one of the very first successful pro tour deck lists with spiders all right so <laughs> green's been good for a long time my friend two fours <laughs> or what wait what was the trapdoor spider and like three fives that could block uh sarah angel no problem like <laughs> that article was about the worst deck ever to win a pro tour <laughs> just to be clear it, <laughs> <laughs> hey Hey, <laughs> you want to you want to win the pro tour? Or you want to say your deck's bad? I'll I'll, I'll take the trophy uh, <laughs> and your five hundred dollars, which they probably paid you back then. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not even that. Uh, all right. Um, did we cover everything? Oh yeah. So the split card 
change and the moto stuff. Let's let's uh, talk about that so we don't we don't lose that for a third week in a row. <laughs> uh, so the split change uh, and fuse card uh, rule that they changed. So Matt Tayback and I think it was Trick and there was an article posted that the shenanigans of flashing back and and playing these expertise cards uh, with these fuse cards like costing. You know, you could cast both sides, even though if one one side costs like six, as long as you're good on the uh, other end, they kind of put the whole kibosh on that. So, uh, if you have any more particulars, you can you can say that. But that's pretty much the gist of it. Yeah. So, real quick, um, overall, I think it's probably a good change because the old rule isn't great. I am disappointed that we're losing cool, unique things. Like it's a neat way to play magic it's different than a lot of decks my biggest problem though is when ether revolt came out they literally spoiled the expertise cycle with articles talking about this interaction and how this interaction was gonna maybe shake up modern it was a great thing so um, i know i might just be being cynical but i wish they had just announced it back then it almost feels to me like they knew that these cards were coming and they were going to have to change the rule but instead of just changing the rule or at least not hyping it they hyped it up to make exp or not expeditions i'm sorry uh, expertises sound exciting and then knowing that they were going to have to like ban this interaction or they were going to ban this interaction a couple of months later so that's the the part i didn't like i wish they had just announced this back when ether evil came out eh, maybe it hadn't decided yet but I like this change. It's it's one of those weird gotchas on new players where you're like, oh no, you know, actually, even though this says like seven, the converted mana cost is like two, and I gotcha. And then they got to call a judge, and they don't believe the judge. You got to search gatherer, and it's just really weird. So I I like that. I wish there was just reminder text on these cards, you know, like the converted mana cost of this card is, you know, x plus y while it's in the graveyard or whatever. But yes, for making things more clear and reasonable rather than, you know, basically a more legal form of rules lawyering someone, right? Like knowing weird interactions and using them to your advantage. Uh, they just happen to be entire decks made out of them. This is much better, I think. Okay, question for both of you. How is this different than casting Gifts Ungiven to search for Grizzlebrand in Unburial Rites? Because Gifts Ungiven says, search your library for four cards. I've had new players literally commenting <laughs> me, like, you can't do that. It says four cards. That's not legal in response to deck techs and stuff. So how is that? Like, how far do you Did go down the path? Hold on. Wait, wait. What, what does the real text of Gifts say, though? I don't know. If you read the literal card, it says, search your library for four cards. Yeah, that, that's just the names. old printing. Yeah, the old printing is search your library for four cards. The modern master's printing is search your library for up to four cards. Uh, okay. So they they errated it, or I, I don't know, they just made it more clear. Okay. So so that is just an artifact of having paper cards printed like 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that, that makes um, more sense then. I do like this kind of movement of cleaning up a lot of these obscure rules and I think Richard nailed it. It's like it, it's very hard to explain. It was always like an obscure rule that was pretty degenerate. I mean, can we all just agree? Like, I, I understand it's it was a fun way to do things, but it was a fun way to do like pretty broken things. Like, come on, like no one was looking to these expertise, like looking to cast a Gear Hulk or something like that. They were looking at modern casting these 
weird like living end cards or the the uh, restore balance cards or the split cards. So I, I just I kind of think it was a long time coming. Uh, that might not be a popular thing to say, so I agree with them on on changing it, and I do think it was time for that to be cleaned up and kind of you know messed with because you can still cast like the the living end and stuff like that. So I think there's still some interactions to be had. The the only downside, and again, I agree with them. I think it was a good change. The only downside is basically with that announcement, they added like what five more cards to the standard ban list. So or modern <laughs> or like the modern ban list. So like no one's really gonna play. It, it's gonna be much harder to play those cards again. Like yeah, Zahir, um, Kari Zev's expertise might still get played in, in Living End because that's pretty decent, or like a restore balance list, but I mean, a lot of the interactions are gone. So, we'll see what that does. I don't think that was a huge like, change for Modern to begin with. Like, those those decks were actually still pretty fringe, if anything, right? I haven't seen them really come to the forefront too much. No, they were they were fringe. People played them on occasion, but they weren't tier by any means. Sure. So, I guess you know what they were like. Ah, eh, it didn't really do anything for modern anyway. So let's just let's just uh, take this time with all these aftermath cars to just change it anyway. But I do I do agree. It's like you kind of backpedaled on all the hype of the of the expertise cars because now a lot of them are pretty much useless. So well, no one played them anyway, oh, so it didn't matter. Right. So <laughs> so there you go. Uh, so, so yeah, that's uh, the change in a nutshell. Um, but yeah, going in and, and cleaning up a lot of these obscure rules is just something that needs to happen. And if this is a side effect of that, I- I'm cool with it because never really cared for it to begin with. Um, so another real quick fast version before we wrap things up with Fishmail, Seth, the MTGO uh, point that you wanted to make for the last like two weeks. Okay, basically, this is a little late, but it's still very relevant. Uh, Wizards basically changed leagues on magic online so instead of paying out booster packs they are only paying out play points and the treasure chests which has good and bad implications Uh, the good news is it will hopefully stabilize booster prices the bad news is uh, one of the bad news is is that wizards just keeps kind of going in circles and changing things haphazardly not seeming to understand how to manage the economy from a moto collector's perspective, it's also a little troubling in the sense that basically when someone plays a tournament, the prizes they get for the tournament is coming out of your collection. It's almost like picture you went to a GP and to play the GP, you had to, I don't know, anti (laughs) the best card in your collection into this prize pool. And then they spread those out among the winners. That's kind of what's happening because if all the prizes are primarily the prizes, not counting the play points are cards that are coming uh, into the system that's lowering the value of all the cards in your collection slowly over time as more and more supply gets in there. So in a very real way, they're kind of paying for tournaments and giving the prize support with the value of Moto players collections. So I'm still confused though. Isn't that exactly the same as a booster pack? Because inside the booster pack, there are cards. So it's like they pre-cracked your booster pack. Sort of, except uh, the treasure chests are primarily older cards that aren't impacted by redemption. So you're losing that that 
supply is diminished by redemption from the standard cards that come into the system in booster pack prizes because of redemption. These are older cards that don't have any redemption. So once the supply enters the system, it's never leaving. That card is always there, always adding supply to the market. So the real question is, what does this do to Rashad import? Uh, most of those cards are trending down and we just got the new treasure chest update and one of the big news stories i guess of the treasure chest update was many of the most expensive cards on moto are becoming more common in the treasure chest so you'll get ports roughly twice as much in treasure chests starting with the Amencap update than you would before. Same for a lot of the Power 9 cards. Black Lotus, the Moxin went from a really high rarity to a somewhat lower rarity. So those cards are going to be in even greater supply in the new treasure chests, which according to Wizards is to stimulate interest in Vintage with Vintage League starting on Magic Online to have more supply out there, lower the entry. So those cards will likely be decreasing in price once we start getting the supply from Amencat treasure Jess. So do you like this change or no? <laughs> Is this good for me or bad for me? Lay it on me. It's good for you if you're not a moto player. If you're a new moto player, <laughs> oh, right. no, let me let me say that. Let me say that differently. <laughs> it's good for you if you're a new moto player. You're someone that maybe wants to buy into legacy, buy into modern, buy into vintage for the first time. You're gonna be able to get cards at a lower price point because of these changes. It hurts the people that have been playing Moto for 10 years, they build up this big legacy vintage collection, have $10,000 invested in Moto cards. Those are the players who will likely be disappointed with these changes because their collection is going to be dropping in value. It's just slowly going to erode in value because of this additional supply. So I think it's good for a segment of Moto players and bad for another segment of Moto players. So literally good for someone like me, not good for someone like you. That sucks. <laughs> good Sorry, for you, Seth. bad for me. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> Sorry, <when Seth. laughs> I mean, I think the hope is that this change will draw new people into the system. And if we see a big boom in Modo because new players are buying in, theoretically, the new demand from these new players could outpace the supply and like even things out. So it's not hurting the old players, whether or not, <laughs> there's going to be the great moto rush and all these new players coming because they can get in cheaper it remains to be seen. So we'll have to, I guess, wait and see how everything turns out. Fair enough. So there you have it, everyone. Uh, we apologize for not for, for taking a few weeks to address that, but um, hopefully that, you know, adds uh, to the, I guess the talks about all these changes and uh, we're glad to do it. So yeah, just apologize, but Oh, uh, we finally were able to catch up on it amongst all this Amonkhet uh, discussion. One more um, Moto thing, so, uh, real quickly. Uh, if you are looking to get Modern Masters cards, you should probably do it. I uh, I bought a ton of Scalding Tarns, thinking they wouldn't be reprinted as kind of a spec on Magic Online. And then, of course, they were reprinted in the price crash. And now, today, Scalding Tarn is more expensive than before anyone knew it was going to be in Modern Masters 2017. It's actually worth more now than before reprinting. So the prices have increased rapidly for chase cards, Liliana, Tarmogoy, Fetchlands. So if you want to buy those cards for your collection, uh, on Magic Online in specific, you probably want to do that now because drafts have gone offline and there's no more new supply entering. So those prices are going to continue to tick up. Well said. So um, Richard, let's tackle some fish mail. 
All right. Here's where we answer your questions on cast. If you have questions, send them to at MTG Goldfish to the hashtag MTG Fish Mail, and we'll get to your questions. So first question from OG Magikarp is God. Our weekly Hearthstone segment is here. Thoughts on Time Warp being mostly the same as Time Warp in Magic. So they released a new card in Hearthstone. It's Time Warp, and it looks exactly like Time Warp in Magic. Is this copyright infringement? Uh, I don't know. You know what? This is just me personally. I've I remember Blizzard going out and suing other companies for really remedial stuff like this. So you know what? I, I would I would say go ahead, Wizards, and do it. For, try it because uh, you know what? Someone, <laughs> someone it's hates time, Wizard, man. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because it's time for someone to bully the bully on this one. And uh, they've I remember it was some like crazy fiasco for anyone that has followed. Um, Defense of the Ancients or Dota, and then this is this is a random um, kind of <laughs> reference here. But I remember Blizzard going after uh, Val for some silly thing, like one of their characters was named the Skeleton King, and they had a character named the Skeleton King. So it's like remedial stuff like that. You know what, Wizards, go ahead and get your time stop. Uh, go after him. I mean, this is not the first time because uh, <laughs> remember Hex. You know, the hex yeah. that we hear about today, they were sued by Wizards because yeah, their because game they... looked exactly like Magic. And, you know, they had cars like Lightning Bolt or something that like literally was Lightning Bolt. <laughs> so at some point, this does become a problem. But I don't know how many cards you need. And, like, I, I don't know where the threshold is that it becomes a problem because, you know, Hearthstone is pretty different from Magic, but... You know, when you're when you're giving this to a panel of jurors who know nothing about TCGs, they're like, yeah, our cards look the same and whatever, right? So I have no idea where this goes, but I don't see anything happening. I, I don't see <laughs> Watsy taking on Blizzard. Like, they're probably going to lose. <laughs> you know what? They should, because shame on these Hearthstone developers for not knowing a blue card from Champions of Kamigawa that came out like, 20, like 15 years ago. They should know better. <laughs> I mean, it is exactly the same. Five mana, call time warp, take an extra turn. It is literal MTG time warp, but I have no idea what the legalities of it is. So I don't know if this counts as copyright infringement. I couldn't imagine anything happening, but it makes me feel like Hearthstone's a bit lazy or something. Can't you, like, at least change the name or something? Like, <laughs> no, you have can't, to? because look, like, you're like... <laughs> How much mana do you put it at? I'll find you a time walk effect in magic. <laughs> that is at that much mana, right? Like, there's only so many things you can do. But couldn't you change the name? Couldn't you, you just come make up it with a non time warp name? Is there oh, time warp was... in, in World of Warcraft? That is the question. I don't know. <laughs> maybe uh, actually, maybe there is. Magic there's stole a... it from Blizzard. <laughs> there's <laughs> maybe no. time warp is the ability of something. There is. There, there's like a mage ability, but I thought it was time stop. But it's time warp, so even more shame on them. For not knowing a card from like twenty five, like twenty years ago. All right. Next question. Paradoxical data. What cards in Amonkhet do you think we'll see play in modern? Richard already answered that one. It's it's Ronas all the way. Let's do it. <laughs> I got Ronas. I got uh, was it Bone Picker? Black bone Picker. Yeah. Gideon is gonna nuts. be there to randomly break decks. Gideon of the Trials. Those are my top three. I think. I think for me, as foretold, is number one. Uh, I think that's <laughs> seriously that's gonna create new archetypes. Tier think, one though, uh, tier 
tier playable. I mean, <laughs> I didn't say tier one. It's not against the odds. I think it'll be a real deck. Yeah. Okay, okay. Also, I, I keep oh, looking harsh at the harsh mentor. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. harsh, harsh mentor was, yeah, was definitely uh, slotted for. A and lot then of I got well. I got to ask. It may not be on the surface, but what do you think of like Shadow of the Grave? That that just see, screams like a card that could be crazy. I think Shadow of the Grave has some really interesting combo potential. It seems like a kind of card that it'll take a while for people to figure out. But if you had to pick the card that like five years from now is going to create the next amulet bloom or like some deck that no one knew was there out of Amoncat, this is probably the card. Yes. Well, good news is we have rest in peace. So when that happens, Uh. we're we're ready for it. Uh, next question from Luke Maciel. Recently, new blocks have tons of hate for previous ones. Don't you feel like standard has become block constructed? Well, you can say that when Gideon gets out of here. But he's still <laughs> playing with lots of cards from the old blocks. So yeah. I, I don't uh, think that a new block invalidates the old block. I think it's it's partly the shift to the two block setup where... Wizards wants to make sure the mechanics from a block are good enough to see you play, and they have to do that within two sets. So I think that adds to the the block-constructed field to some extent. But I agree with Richard overall. All right. From Mimin Pork, underrated card time. For Aether Revolt, Chaz said Rishkar, Richard said Solemn Recruit, Seth said Quicksmith Spy. Oh. Chaz is the winner. What are the underrated card picks for Amonkhet? Ah. <laughs> uh. oh. I feel be- like I I feel like all the cards I would mention are already being talked about. Hmm. This, I got you. I, I'm gonna have to go last. I'm gonna have to go last. You go. You go first. Okay. Uh, the card that no one's expecting to break constructed, but will is approach of the second sun. <laughs> you just well, I, I, you, yeah I don't know that's it, it is that's right, that, pretty that is crazy. You just fork it and you win. That's all. That's that's it. Fork any sort of copying it effect, and you like, just win the game. Like, how do you cheat this into play? You just marvel it. Marvel, <laughs> marvel, fork. Good game. All right, I'm gonna go with. Um, marvel I don't know. Game. Is Black Delver on people's radar? Oh, how about the zombie plague vulture? Three mana five four that. Puts two minus one minus one counters, resetting your drops messengers. Oh, that is so nice. We probably don't need more three <laughs> drops, but if we did, this is pretty good. And it's a 5-4 menace, so it actually trades with a goif that's not crazy powered up. So let, let's go with Plague Belcher, although I think the Black Delver is going to be good. Ah, oh, this is so hard. You know what? I'm, I know people are talking about it already, but I think I'm going to jump on that Glory Bringer. I know it's a red card, it's not green, so this time around, like, I can't stick with that card, like, green, but I don't think it's as bad as we we thought, like, especially if Heart of Kiran's gone, like, but even with Heart of Kiran, I mean, it's fine. They block the Heart of Kiran, you get it, you get to ping off one of their creatures, you stop the Heart of Kiran. I think Glorybringer's good. But in going, sticking with green, I know it's another one, but, uh, I, I was, I, I literally wrote off, like, Honored Hydra is like an intro pack rare, but that card is actually pretty good. Oh, no. <laughs> if this thing sees play, <laughs> there's going to be a doubling season in there. Because otherwise, this is... You just cast a Gear Hulk. You just cast a Gear Hulk. Yeah, that's true, but we'll see. But I'm, I'm right. sticking with Glorybringer. That's my main one, not, not changing. 
Floyd Claypool, do you guys think the CMC of Almond Cat is a bit higher than past sets? Well, with the rule change, <laughs> where all the split cards count as their total combined converted mana cost, I think that's definitely true. Yeah, I mean, yes. excluding that, I, I, ne- I didn't get that feeling, but I mean, once the set is out on Gatherer, we could just calculate it. But I, I don't get that feeling from the I think- set. I yeah. think part of it too is a lot of cards are cost one more than other versions, but they have cycling, which kind of makes up for that. So you have like Stasis Snare or Oblivion Stone that's one, or Oblivion Ring that's one more mana, or Force Spike that's one more mana. But I think that's because you get the upside of cycling it. So I think that might be the other reason it sometimes looks that way. Yeah, same thing for with most of the aftermath cards. Like the front side is pretty much on par with what you'd pay for some of these cards, but then the aftermath is like two or three more mana for the same effect, like just because that's aftermath. All right, next question from G I Nate eighty seven. What are your opinions on green black infect? Isn't this version like in and out of favor just because people don't want to deal with Path to Exile anymore? <laughs> like they just play the uh, the Phyrexian. Um, what is it? The Crusader. Yeah, I I think it's fine. It's it's decent if you like if you want to play a more kind of controlling resilient version of in fact that isn't really going to get the combo kill then that's the way to go so i think it's a reasonable deck but it's obviously not a tier deck at this point but it's good enough that it spiked a tournament here and there or spiked a, a league on magic online or something so it's playable all right next question aj hewitt my friends and i think someone will die this block i'm thinking of johnny friend thinks gideon your thoughts Maybe both. Uh, <laughs> Johnny's not even here to die, is he? Yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, Johnny is on Amakut. Probably Gideon. That, if I had to pick one, yeah, I think Gideon. Member. But I heard a lot of people saying Nissa because uh, Nissa is pretty forgettable, and there's nothing important going on with her oh, arc. Wow. There's like no, there's no loose ends for her to finish up, so they can just like off her. And this is her final last hurrah as Simic. <laughs> so. I thought there we missed this controversy, but isn't there some big love story between her and Lilith Chandra? That's like was a huge news. I think this so. Weekend? That's like yeah, I think it's like a budding love interest, which is actually pretty interesting. So maybe that's what they did to keep these characters around. Oh yeah, if if, if if they're going there, then they can't kill Nissa. Yeah, they... Or maybe they can, and Chandra goes even more crazy, and then <laughs> you get like a, a different color Chandra. Ooh, yeah. Next question from Martyrdom. With the split card changes, what rule change do you think will happen next? Any wants on rule changes? Not off the top of my head. Go back to the old legend rule, so you can legend rule Ooh. your opponent's legend. I, yes. I miss that. I miss that rule. I do, too. I'm waiting for something on missed triggers. Like, every year they change it, so you have no idea how to handle a missed trigger. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, are you supposed to enforce them? Are you not supposed to enforce them? If you don't enforce them, do you both get a warning? Do you get What do you get? I don't know. They keep changing this rule. Uh, last question from Black Mountain. 1v1 commander coming to moto means that all optimal decks will need command tower. Do you guys have any ideas on the supply of said card? I see it was a promo. What kind of promo was it? Uh, I'm trying to double check that right now. I think it was a judge promo, wasn't it? 
Yeah, but it's different on Magic. I'm oh, sure. Oh, oh, I'm sure they'll add it because it's in like every commander product. So they'll probably just add it to treasure chests. Yeah, and I it believe it's a legendary it was... cube as well. Yeah, so the supply is actually not bad. It's pretty cheap right now. It's like ten cents, which is pretty cheap. And I believe it was like one of the like store activity. One of the they have two monthly promos: one for playing tournaments, one for spending like twenty dollars at the store. It, I'm fairly confident it was one of those, which are very high supply for promos. And like Richard said, treasure chests in this case can actually do some good things because you can increase the supply very quickly. I don't even want to count how many horrible, unplayable conspiracy two and commander 2016 cards I have from opening treasure chests. Ash Barons. I've opened <laughs> so many of those and it uh, takes up the rare slot. It's the, it is literally the worst thing on Moto. Oh, uh, so bad. Yeah. I, how is that? Just a real quick, I, I know we're trying to wrap things up. Uh, it, have, has there been hype about that at all? I mean, you guys play it more than I do. Uh, since about we've talked about it last. I don't yeah. know when it's releasing. When is it releasing? Oh. They said this summer sometime. <laughs> I don't think there's a firm date. And there is some hype. I, it's not like people are freaking out about it, but I've definitely had a few questions and interest from people. So there, there's some amount of hype, but it's not like revolutionizing Moto or anything like that. Okay. Well, maybe it will, because maybe people will start playing it and then they'll actually go play Casual Commander. There you go. Filling up the casual commander rooms. That would be all sweet. Right, so that's all of our fish mail this week. Thanks to everyone for sending them in. Remember at MTG Goldfish <laughs> with the hashtag MTG Fish Mail. Thanks everyone. Yeah, those were great questions. Um, I did see the YouTube comment, so no, I did not get the switch. I know Seth. <laughs> you answered it, but I I did see it. So After whoever has that, time, no switch. No, it, I. <laughs> Now you know what it it just has to have Netflix on it. So now I'm just waiting for that because uh, <laughs> Savannah uses it to watch Netflix, and I'm just like, all right, well I can't not have the Netflix on it. So it just speaking to another Netflix machine. Speaking of Switch, uh, it's actually pretty sweet. I had oh some, really? You you, had uh, some, did, you get a, did you get a Switch? I did not, but I had uh, my brother was around for Easter, and he got one and brought it, and we played on it a bit, and it, it seemed pretty cool. All right, fair enough. So, yeah, that, that's the update. I, I will let you know when it happens. Whenever Netflix gets put on there, that's probably <laughs> when I will start looking forward again. <laughs> <laughs> so you're right. buying this entire device to watch Netflix, not play any games or I do mean, anything. You know how, you know how it is. Uh, also everything eventually just turns into a netflix box (laughs) (laughs) on on the way out the door we should we should remind everyone pre-release this weekend so go to your lgs friday night saturday sunday whenever you want to do it check out almond cat and then moto on monday they've definitely moved up the the release of moto so that starts next monday as well so play almond cat this weekend it should be sweet it looks fun yeah glad they moved that up on moto too even the stuff that looks horrible is looks like it'll be fun in limited. So I'm excited to try the limited format because like aftermath and that stuff, I could imagine being really powerful. And you actually, as weird as it sounds, kind of want to open those in your sealed pool when you're <laughs> yes. playing pre-release. As much as you don't want to open them in your box when you're tracking <laughs> for value, so there's some weird tension there. <laughs> there definitely is. They are strong. Nonsense. I'm just gonna open Liliana. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll take my value and cool card Come on, <laughs> uh, alright so yeah definitely go play I am certainly going to make it this time I'm I'm trying to get more into the limited uh, 
I didn't get to play Aether Revolt as much as I wanted to, but yeah, definitely going for this. Alright everyone, that is going to be a wrap. Thanks everyone for joining us. We will see you all next time. This is going to be the MTG Goldfish crew, signing up.